Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Trading Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO, Dennis Benito. Today I have with me a very dear friend of mine, uh, a very handsome man. I can Every time I see him, I'm just flabbergasted at what my eyes are revealing to me. Oh my God. A Mexican-born American citizen, law enforcement officer, teaches cartel training throughout the country, Victor Galarza, aka Vic. What's up, man? How are you? How the hell are you, brother? I'm great, dude. Glad you're here with us. Excellent. Let's educate the street cop training uh, community with some Mexican cartel stuff today and, you know, whatever you're comfortable discussing. And But I think before we start, why don't you give us the history of you? Wow. That's going to be a long one, man. That's All right. So why don't you let, let's put a timer on it for two minutes. Okay. Two minutes. Perfect. Um, I was born in Mexico City, raised in Mexico City, arrived in the United States around the age of 22 as a Mexican diplomat, first attached to the Mexican Consul General in Chicago, Illinois, and later to the permanent mission or Mexican embassy for the OAS in Washington, D.C. Um, eventually, I decided that I needed to uh, remain in the place that I loved and I wanted to call home. So I actually chose to surrender my diplomatic status and begin my application to become a permanent, actually, uh, eventually, a U.S. citizen, naturalized United States citizen. Fortunately, that took me about 10 years just because at one point in time, I was considered an agent of a different state. Um, eventually, during my process, I got really heavily into the restaurant and bar business and eventually that took me to Colorado when I created the Lost Dog Bar and Lounge in Durango, Colorado. It was a very successful bar. I think the last year that I was there, I actually ended up selling like $1.6 million. But eventually, divorce came. Oh, boy. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, and while I was actually in the restaurant business, I ended up meeting the undershare for the agency that I'm working with right now here in Southwest Colorado. And he knew my background as a Mexican diplomat, me having trained with the Mexican Navy, the Mexican Army, the Presidential Security Service, so on and so forth, so on and so forth during my, my younger years. And he said, hey, Victor, this area um, of the four corners of Colorado is a secondary area of drug trafficking. We've never had any luck um, interdicting the Mexican cartels. Why don't you come over? Fuck Yes. And all of a sudden, I am going through police academy. I actually ended up selling my, my half of the restaurant bar to the ex-wife. Haven't seen a, a nickel of it yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but eventually, I got on directly on patrol. And I got lucky, man. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I wanted to go out and get it. I had a purpose. And eventually, one after the other, after the other, after the other. I encountered a lot of uh, former setas, well, the former cartel known as Los Setas, uh, which at that point in time was the most sophisticated, most advanced Mexican drug trafficking organization in the entire globe. Um, obviously, they're, been, they're actually disbanded and they're splintered into different groups now. And so I got lucky and lucky and lucky and lucky. And eventually, people started uh, noticing uh, and they were wondering, well, Victor, how are you doing this? Because you, it's not like you have a fancy system here for reading uh, plates or a computer in your vehicle. How are you doing this? And I basically told them I'm recognizing the culture. I look 
after the criminal behaviors relating to the subculture known as narcocultura, the culture of the narcos. Mm-hmm. And eventually they started teaching classes and eventually everybody wanted, can you just teach us a bunch about Mexico and the Mexican cartels? And mm-hmm. I created the Vigilance Project and you discovered me and I decided to join forces with you folks. And here I am and glad to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, Vic, you're a, you're a blessing and you're a great guy. And <clears throat> before we started this podcast, we started talking about your last trip to, to Mexico about the tents. Can you just let's talk about that again? Because that was really good shit. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, just came back from uh, Tijuana. Um, actually, more like Baja California, Del Norte. Baja is divided into two different Mexican states. One would be Baja California del Norte and one Baja California del Sur. That whole entire area is absolutely controlled by the Mexican transnational criminal organizations, or as we like to call them, cartels. So what I did is um, I, I know a couple of tradecraft from my days as a diplomat, so I knew that I could not drive or fly into Mexico to not be basically spotted, seen, or identified. And so we drove from Colorado to Vegas. Ah, poor me. Um, had a little time in Vegas and actually discovered a new temple to the Santa Muerte. Okay. And, ev- and eventually drove to Cali, L.A., um, spent some time in L.A. And I f- and actually there's, there's been a temple to the Santa Muerte that I visited there before many different times. Great interviews for the actual caretaker of that temple. And then eventually we drove down to San Diego and parked the car and walked straight into uh, Tijuana. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and I was right. Um, they, they looked at my passport, American passport. Where are you going? Oh, we're going on vacations to Playas de Tijuana, which is Tijuana is the very uh, kind of like the center city connected to the, the border, San Isidro, which is the largest border in the entire globe, um, the busiest border in the entire globe. And then eventually um, you, you can drive to the uh, kind of like the coast area. In fact, I put a, a picture on Facebook where you can see me right next to the border wall on the Mexican side. Mm-hmm. And so throughout my research and that, and that's hands down, I mean, some of the, some of the shit that I saw, it's, it's staggering. Um, and one of the things that actually um, I had to stop and kind of catch my breath was seeing the tent cities or the blue tarp tent cities that were underneath the highways in Tijuana. And these highways, obviously, you know, it's kind of like a normal highway that you would see in the U.S. They're high leveled, right? And so underneath these highways, there were thousands of people living in these tents, blue tarp tents, some of them from from Kenya, Haiti, China, all over South America, Honduras, Nicaragua, and all these places. And they all had one thing in common. Nothing in common is they wanted to enter into the United States. The reason they were there in Baja California, the North in Tijuana, was they were expecting or wanting to come into the United States. And it got me thinking, you know, when when I was a Mexican diplomat here and I decided, okay, I want the United States to be my home, I surrendered my diplomatic status. I first became a temporary resident, later a permanent resident, and eventually... uh, with God blessings, I was able to become a naturalized United States citizen. It took me 10 years 
And the reason it took me so long is because at one point in time, I held the highest diplomatic status you could here in the United States, which was an A1. And so I was considered an agent of a different state. So here I am um, sitting, looking at these people, wanting to go in as a naturalized United States citizen. And it gets me thinking, like, we here in the United States have so many people that are just um, hating on what we stand for as a nation, hating our liberties, hating our servicemen, hating our law enforcement. And I'm just thinking, we have those individuals, and, and take it, it's not the majority of people, but it's just the, the, the idiots out there that just just spreading all the hate. Um, and meanwhile, we have all these people just wanting to come in and be part of what we stand for, of how, what we are, the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was definitely a breathtaking experience for sure. Well, certainly is sobering. And, you know, I don't want to make this political conversation. Just that's the facts of what you observed. And the reality is that this is still a very, very wonderful country to live in. And I don't think people have context of how wonderful it is. And maybe they're getting a little more grounded now with the current conflict in Ukraine. Um, I would would argue that the media is certainly a part of why there are sentiments regarding the feeling of the United States. Absolutely. You know, uh, and and, and they're 100% responsible for the most part. Yeah, I agree. Hands down. Yeah, and, and, I, and I'm going to tell you why, because I am subject and I've been privy to experiencing one-sided reporting, and it's continuous. Um, you know, they're just trying to make us look like, what would you like us to do? I mean, our job is to go out and apprehend criminals, right? So there are things that we're going to have to do within compliance of the U.S. Constitution. They're using their, their tools and resources. We have to use ours to try to counter and keep your people and the, the uh, society and citizens of the United States safe. So, um, well, so, you know, I know that you, you often visit back to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Are, do you fit in easily? Cause you're from there or do you feel like you've got a little more of an American vibe to you now? Uh, well, no, actually it's pretty funny. So when, um, I come from a true immigrant family, um, my grandmother was Italian from a oh, place wow. in, in Italy called Udine. Um, and in fact, I lived from, God, I was really young, first, second, and third grade in that, in that small city in, in Italy. My grandfather wow. is Lebanese. So wow. my, grandfather, my grandfather was the very first Mexican-Lebanese lawyer in the entire country. In wow. fact, he was one of the founding fathers for a law enforcement agency in Mexico that actually provided service for the banking and industry back, back in those days. Um, and so, yes, when I go to Mexico, there's, there's been times where, uh, people are like, you're not Mexican. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm not Mexican. Even, even me speaking Spanish and I speak better Spanish than I do English because you could, I mean, you can hear my accent. It's very Um, light though. It's very light. (laughs) Anyway, so I go to Mexico and some people are like, you're not Mexican. And there's been one time in, in back in 18 in the coast of Oaxaca when I went down there. Uh, this is around the time of, some people were asking me on Facebook, the, the Culiacanazo, what happened in Sinaloa back in 2019 when the Sinaloa took over the whole entire capital city. I was in Mexico at that point in time. 
And in the, in the state of Paca, this dude, like, you're not Mexican. I'm like, uh, yes, I am. And proud of it. I'm a, I'm a pro, I'm proud of my heritage. Very proud of my heritage. And that's why I teach this class, actually. And so this guy's like, prove it. I'm like, okay, how do you want me to prove it? I want you to sing the Mexican anthem. And I was, I kid you not, I'm like, fuck, I just forgot the Mexican anthem. Wow. And so there's this there's this uh, kind of like a, a joking um, version of the Mexican anthem in which it kind of sings, it goes to the little melody and I'm like, um, damn idiots, why don't you return my, uh, my uh, ham sandwich? So I actually sang that to him and he's like, okay, yeah, you're Mexican. Absolutely. You're Mexican. Like, I okay. That's you. cool. Yeah. 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 yeah but yeah, I, I, I fit in. I know the language. I know the customs, both sides of the customs. You know, at one point in time in 2010, I was in Mexico city in an area called Tepito, which is the most dangerous barrio in Mexico city. And that barrio is controlled by cartel de Tepito. And in that barrio is the most popular uh, temple to the Santa Muerte. And as I am, I'm literally at the temple. What I do is I cross the street. I go to a little tiendita, which is a little a corner store. And right. I get myself a Mexican Coke, obviously. I grab a milk crate. I sit down in front of the, 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 the store looking at the temple, just documenting the people coming in and out, taking pictures, so on and so forth. And I can see... Two halcones. Halcones are actual. It's the word that we give to the, the, the narco or the cartel watchman. There's one watchman in that side of the corner and another one in that side of the corner just waiting for either the military or the police to arrive. But I actually, I, I was safe. I, I fell in so good that I was just sitting in my milk crate, drinking my Coca-Cola, watching this thing uh, unfold in front of me for hours on end. So yeah. what do you think what, what do you think would happen if it was if you were discovered that you were there watching this thing? Not good. Not good at all. Um, there was um, there was an instance in another state in, in one of my trips. It's called Guanajuato. And Guanajuato sits inside the Red Triangle or the Mexican Bermuda Triangle where everything fucking disappears. Everything. And that area at that point in time, there was a huge fight between CJ and G. Uh, cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación, um, and, and another cartel known as um, 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 Rosal, uh, Rosalinda. And so these cartels are actually fighting in a specific area of that red triangle that they had said is not under control of any cartel. Um, there's a lot of uh, self-censoring on the media in Mexico due to the violence against the media itself. So I am in there and I'm, I'm not going to incriminate myself on video, but I do something where I acquire uh, a specific product from a specific group. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, while I have the, the, the been, I documented and actually present on my classes, but while I have that item, I actually, um, I, I tested in the whole nine yards and comes out to be a specific thing. Uh, but it was stamped C J N G. So the very first thing I needed to do is actually get rid of the, the item, not because it would have been considered something illegal, but it was stamped with a specific name of a specific criminal group. So my concern was if the other group 
gets a hold of me for whatever reason, and they find this that belongs to the other group, now I'm in bigger trouble. So, yeah, I, you got to be very careful. Do you think if they discovered who you really were and like your your purpose in law enforcement in the United States, that, that would they would they would be apprehensive to take action against you or they wouldn't give a fuck? It all depends on the actual group. The larger groups. So in Mexico right now, we have between 300 and 800 uh, transnational criminal organizations, drug trafficking organizations, regional mafias, gangs and other mafiosos, other uh, uh, other other groups. Imagine between 300 and 800. The larger, more organized group, like a transnational criminal organization, they don't want the, the focus of law enforcement, especially foreign law enforcement, either being from Canada, either being from the United States, either being from Europe, the, the European nation, uh, union. So they would be apprehensive of, okay, maybe he's a, a, a police officer from the United States, let's not do anything. Maybe they'll detain me. Maybe they'll get intel from me and then either kidnap me or hold me at ransom. It all depends on what their uh, um, really status and what their uh, um, uh, influence is in Mexico. There's two actual very important intel reports that are coming out of the United States by the board. One is out of Maricopa County, which is Phoenix. Maricopa County has said that the information that's coming out of Mexico regarding conflict between the Sinaloa cartel and law enforcement in the United States, the orders coming out of Sinaloa are saying, if you are, are confronted by U.S. law enforcement, just do your time. Don't say anything. That'll be that. Do not confront them. However, on the side of Texas, um, there are several organizations that control the border there especially the splinter cells from the Setas cartel, the cartel that I was mentioning before, like Cartel del Noroeste, which is actually one of the most dangerous criminal organizations in Mexico. They have said if the United States law enforcement encroaches into our activities, we're going to take action to the point that the governor in Texas has actually put a mandate, um, an emergency order saying that if the cartels actually do something against law enforcement, or in this case, National Guard around the border, then we're going to act. So it's, again, two different theories. Wow, it's interesting, man. Yeah, man. Is it safe to travel to Mexico as a U.S. citizen to vacation there? Depending on the region. Absolutely, it all depends on the region. When people ask, when I ask people, so how, how do you think Mexico, um, while it's influenced by the cartels at a national level, the cartels or the transnational criminal organizations control and, and the other regional mafias and so on and so forth control a specific um, a percentage of land mass in Mexico. And I always ask, like, how much of, of, the, of Mexico do you think is actually under the control of these organizations? And I've heard 80, 70, you know, an actual educated guess because, you know, the, the shit changes, they move, they splinter, they change territories, is between 30 and 35% of the entire country. Now, as you can, as you've seen in the news, there is parts of Mexico that have been very popular for tourism, like Cancun in the Yucatan Peninsula, and the killings and the shootings. Well, those shootings were not totally directed towards uh, tourists, because that would be just the stupidest thing they can actually do. Uh, they were directed to other 
cartel members or criminal organized members. Like um, there was a, uh, a just the most recent assassination in uh, Tulum, which is south of Cancun, which is a beautiful place. The Mayan ruins of Tulum are there. Um, and there's this small, very quaint, very expensive little resort just south of that. And that's where this Vietnamese Canadian uh, mafia member that was distributing product for the Sinaloa cartel in Canada actually arrived there. And then he was actually assassinated by another member of his group from Canada here in Mexico with the help of the Sinaloa cartel. So the probability that these incidents are just you being in the wrong place at the wrong time are very real. And that could happen anywhere, even in the United States. In reality, look at uh, what they call, you know, Chi-Town or, or uh, uh, what do they call it? Chi yeah, yeah. Chicago. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what was the deal with the thing you posted the other day on Facebook about the uh, people that were, that were murdered outside of the funeral home? What was that? So, um, by the way, going back, I just want to pretext this by saying, I actually can't watch the video because I am, believe it or not, a very compassionate human being. And I don't want to see any more fucked up stuff in my life. I've seen plenty. So I acknowledge that it occurred, but I can't watch people get killed. It's not something that I just, I can't do it. And it's, it, I mean, so during my classes, during my longer classes, I do present, and for the past nine years that I've been doing this, I do present some violent shit. Um, and the reason I do that is so individuals and law enforcement officers realize the dangers that are involving what we do. And so that's, that's kind of like that. But what happened in the state of Michoacan several days ago, because as soon as I get, um, I'm still connected with a group um, that gets information from C4. C4 is this Mexican federal agency that gathers all types of information and actually it's got like cameras throughout the country. They gather this information and they pass it on to the military, the district attorney's office, the national district attorney's office, so on and so forth, so on and so forth. So I actually hooked with those individuals and I get provided with this information. And as soon as I got it, boom, I put it on, on the Facebook page for Streetcom. And yes, it is a uh, it was a uh, a funeral procession in which the and it's, it's for CJNG Las Cuatro Letras the four letters the most dangerous the most powerful Mexican transnational criminal organization in the entire globe. They operate from um, Canada all the way down to Tierra del Fuego, which is the very tip of uh, Argentina, uh, all the way to Japan and uh, Europe, and so. These individuals were starting to see a, uh, a kind of like infighting. And this is an infighting in this example by a member, by a plaza member. A plaza, when I say the word plaza, is an area of control, an area of territory. The word plaza comes from the Mexican word of jurisdiction. So this plaza is their area of control. This is where they traffic. This is where they produce. This is where they do the other activities that they actually do because they're not only doing dope work. And so this plaza leader named El Toro, the bull, is fighting against this other plaza leader known as El Pelon, the shaved head guy. Um, and so they, they kind of confronted each other. And so they send their sicarios, their their 
gunmen over to basically counter this this cell of this Peloi, and they grabbed the 17 people you see up against the wall in execution style, kind of like what you would see in World War II when the Nazis would just put people to the to the wall and just spray him. But the curious thing that occurred is that um, 16 hours after the fact, the Mexican army, the federal forces, arrive into this little town that borders the state of Jalisco and the state of Michoacan. And they arrive and they find no bodies. In fact, they find cleaning materials, bleach, and, and, and towels, and, and, and just to clean the scene. All they found is certain uh, amount of, of blood, the eyewitnesses, and just the spray on the walls. They had actually picked up the bodies of the murdered individuals and got rid of them. So, so that's what that was about. Were, were the people they murdered um, rival cartel members? Um, it's, it's not known yet because they, we don't know their identities, but imagine you're doing a funeral procession. It's not only going to be your fellow co-workers, cartel members, but it's also going to be your family members, cousins, aunts, sons, and daughters. So who they killed everybody, everybody that actually stayed there and didn't fucking flee. They gathered them 17 total right up against the wall and wham crazy yeah and that unfortunately happens um just about every day in mexico um as of the beginning of the war which was 2006 when presidente calderon former president mexican president calderon actually sent troops to the state of michoacan the state that we're actually talking about he was the governor of that state the pre previously before he became mexican president so he sent the federal troops to combat at that point in time was La Familia Michoacana and Los Zetas because these guys were just out of control. Sends the troops there, boom, the beginning of this war. And, um, and since then, these groups have actually splintered and have created new, new, uh, new crimes and new, um, new organizations. And with the splintering and the loss of power and the loss of ability to control the production, the manufacturing, the trafficking into the United States, the control of the areas, that's when we start seeing these cartels adopt other business uh, uh, perspectives like kidnapping, um, like extortion, human trafficking, um, so on and so forth, vehicle theft, uh, um, train robbery, illegal fishing, the theft of uh, um, oil, the theft of minerals. I mean, whatever they can make an actual buck on, the Mexican transnational criminal organizations, the Mexican cartels are involved in, period. What has the, or what has changed now that El Chapo uh, was, you know, I, I said it in the most American way, El Chapo. Um, yeah. You know, what has changed now in the cartel regions with the kingpin, I guess the, the guy who ran the whole thing now that he's gone, has it been chaotic since that? Yes. So um, you, you heard me say before how I was in Mexico in 2019 when we have the event that's called El Culiacanazo. El Culiacanazo is when the Mexican federal troops by accident, according to their report, uh, bumped into and detained one of the sons of El Chapo Guzman. 
So when they detained the son of the Chapo Guzman, their other kids of Guzman, the brothers of, of, of him, start making actual phone calls. Like, hey, we need to, uh, to actually El Mayo Zambada, which is, if, if you want to put the level of bosses with the Sinaloa cartel, at that point in time, it was El Chapo and El Mayo Zambada. They were almost at the same level. El Chapo Guzman was the most, uh, it just had more, uh, um, I guess, public appeal, or that was the name that was always put in the press. And so they're calling El Mayo Zambada is like, hey, help us get our, bro our brother out of here. He cannot be arrested. He cannot be taken to the United States. And so El Mayo said, no, I'm not going to do that. So the group known as Los Chapitos, the splinter cell of El, the Sinaloa cartel, is the one that took over this entire capital city of 300,000 people and basically kidnapped uh, family members, military family members, and police family members to influence the now sitting Mexican president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, or AMLO for short, to actually say, okay, you have to let go Ovidio. Uh, uh, we're going to let go Ovidio, and that'll be that. And so that event is so important because we start seeing the splintering or the, 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 the break apart of the Sinaloa cartel into the organizations that we're seeing now today, which is be the, the organization controlled by El Mayo, Los Chapitos, Los Salazar, and the group that's led by Caro Quintero. Caro Quintero is a man that actually killed Enrique Kiki Camarena, the DEA agent, back in 1985 in Mexico when he was one of the bosses for the Guadalajara cartel. It's pretty amazing how, I mean, it's, it's all like a ladder just coming together. It's yeah, that guy who who kidnapped and tortured that poor soul, the agent, he was brought to justice, right? Well, he was brought to justice in Mexico. So he served time in Mexico while he had a warrant out from the DEA. But all of a sudden, you got to figure corruption in Mexico. All of a sudden, once he uh, finishes his sentence in Mexico, he lets go. When the DEA calls Mexico, like, what the hell, man? He was supposed to come and serve his time for the murder of Enrique Camarena here in the United States. Like, oh, he, we let him go. And then there's another interview of him. And you have El Viejo, el, uh, the old man. That's what the DEA calls him now, uh, Caro Quintero. You can actually see him sitting down with an interviewer saying, like, no, I got nothing to do uh, with, with, this, with this thing. I'm not involved anymore. And, of course, he's got a hat with 5.11 on it, literally. And like, I'm not involved, I'm not involved. And all of a sudden, boom, he comes as the leader of the Cordoba um, uh, cartel up in Sonora. So if people don't know, can you tell the significance of the 5.11 hat? I can tell you what it is. With him? With, yeah, what's the significance of it? Yeah, that he's still involved, right? Oh yeah, he's still, well, he's still involved. In me, and, and that's a, basically a fuck you. Um, here I am. Here I am to stay. That was his version. Now, you can actually see there's a there's a Sicario Special Forces group known as uh, uh, Grupo Elite by the CJNG. Their entire equipment is 511. Actually put a video on our Facebook page for Street Cup and you would see these guys were in all black and they had these uh, um, uh, kind of like a, um, they break the signals from anything that's got anything to do with digital equipment, and they're all wearing 5.11 everywhere. <laughs> if I was 5.11, I would be fucking pissed.
but you were saying that the yeah the uh, the, the significance uh, of the five eleven yes. thing. Yes. How has the impact been, or is there still an effort by the Mexican state or the presidency to try to control this? I'm under the impression that now it has become a lot more corrupt. Are they still fighting a war down there? Mexico has always been corrupt. It, it, it's, it's, it's a cultural thing. It's, in fact, when the PRI, Partido Revolucionario Institucional, this is the, the political party that was in power in Mexico for 71 years before we see the current administration in power. And imagine, can you imagine a, an actual uh, political party being in power for a country for 71 years? Imagine if, if let's say, uh, either the, uh, the Republican Party or the Democratic Party were in actual power for 71 years. How would our nation actually look like? So the PRI was not about a political mindset or, or an specific agenda. They were all about keeping power and power to the, to the, to the highest level. And they used corruption to actually move this low wheel of power in Mexico. That's basically the oil that actually moved the wheel of government back then. The current president said, okay, I'm going to go after corruption. I'm going to stop Mexican corruption. Did that work? Absolutely not, not even close. And so right now, in fact, a little while ago, this is last year, the uh, American DEA arrested a man by the name of Cienfuegos, he was the uh, Secretary of Defense for the previous Mexican president, Enrique Peña Nieto, under the PRI flag. This man has been in power, uh, well, has been in the Mexican army for the better part of 53 years, five decades. This man knows where everyone is buried, hands down. And when he figured out that the DEA was going to expose him as being in bed with a Mexican cartel known as H2 back in the States when he was just a regional commander. What does he do? He actually sends the Mexican forces to go and kill this guy in Nayarit and Colima. This basically, and there's a famous video of this helicopter, Mexican naval helicopter just flying over the town and you can see him spraying with a gutling gun down into the town, actually killing H2, the leader of the H2 cartel. That is corruption. That is the highest corruption you can get. Wow. So they're using the government to do the, they're using soldiers to do the dirty work. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that dates back, that dates back, I mean, decades. There was an instance, um, this is during when uh, Mexico actually hosted the, the, uh, the Olympics. This was the opportunity for Mexico to show, a hey, we are the second world uh, power. We are here. We are advanced. We're motivated. And they're showing it to the entire world. And unfortunately, during that time, there was also a movement of students that were actually protesting the Olympics coming to Mexico. And so the Mexican PRI government put together a specialized military unit to go over, and it's known as the, the, the massacre of, uh, of Mexico City, of the, of the students in um, an actual plaza, La Plaza de las Tres Culturas, the plaza of the three cultures. Very interesting place. In fact, I put a video 
on StreetCut, um, and you can actually see it's a beautiful plaza because you can actually see pre-Columbian Mexico, then Colombian Mexico right on top of it, and then industrial Mexico, modern Mexico. And there's a part of that plaza in which the Mexican forces literally killed about 300 students. It's called wow. the, the Tlaltenolco. Why did they, why did they do that? Because they were opposing the Olympics come to Mexico, and this was the opportunity for the PRI to put Mexico on a pedestal for the entire world to see. Wow. So they killed 300 innocent yeah. college students. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There was, um, they actually, and, and you can still see videos, um, there was these Mexican army guys dressed up as civilians, and they only have one white glove. That actually determined them as being Mexican military. So the sharpshooters that were in an actual building would not shoot them by accident. Wow. Yeah. It's, 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 it's horrible parts of my history, unfortunately. Uh, but I share these stories. I share these facts. I share these, these criminal behaviors of both my actual culture and narco cultura. So people know the difference. You know, nowadays I get so many people coming over. It's like, well, Victor, I did a traffic stop and I detained them. I'm like, okay, why did you detain them? I'm like, oh, I saw a Virgen de Guadalupe, a Virgin Mary statue on, on the vehicle. And I'm like, you realize that having a Virgin Mary for a Mexican national is like wearing jeans for an American citizen? It's the most common thing. She is the mother of God. She is the queen of Latin America. She's the patron saint of Mexico. Why are you detaining this person based on their religion? And they're going like, well, the statue is made out of gold. And I was like, motherfucker, the whole entire wall behind the holy miracle in Mexico City is made out of wall. Let that person go. And it's the reason behind it is because people can't, don't understand the culture don't realize what a criminal behavior is and what an innocent behavior is. Mm -hmm. Hey dude, it all comes down to, and, and again, I, here I am getting on my, my soapbox a little bit, a lack of training, right? Yes. All this stuff comes down to a lack of training. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're trying to, we're trying to change that. You know, we're trying to fix that shit. Absolutely. And it's, um, okay. See what you're going to say. Yeah. The beautiful thing about me joining street cop is that, it, it, it all is just pieces of the puzzle. You know, I just did an investigation yesterday in which I it started with drug trafficking and it led me into felon in possession of guns and then into five stolen vehicles. And then I had to do an interview to actually get him to tell me the truth. And it's basically what Street Cup is all about. It's just pieces of the puzzle coming together to make an officer a success. You see there, um, for example, I had to make a, a, an actual uh, informant. There goes one class uh, from Street Cop. I had to learn how to do an interview. There comes another class from Street Cop. Now that you have Corey, vehicle theft, the, the gun game right there. Everything is just a piece of the puzzle to make an officer a success. And that's why I joined you guys, because I have my little piece of the puzzle to actually add for our brothers and sisters in blue. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, I appreciate it, man. What's, what's life like living in Mexico now for a Mexican citizen? Again, it all depends where you live. Um, actually, I'm, I'm not going to talk about family just because I don't want to get ideas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't, yeah. 
but um, it all depends where you're at. I have uh, friends that live in certain areas in Mexico that are, are, are beautiful places that have zero threat of major violence. Can, can they be, um, can there be uh, uh, robbed? Yes, absolutely. Can their vehicles be broken into? Yes, absolutely. Can they be the, the victims of fraud or any type of that, you know, those type of crimes? Yes, just like we are everywhere in Mexico. But would I actually go and say, okay, I'm going to return to, let's say, for example, my family had a house in Acapulco for many, many, many years. Would I actually go back to Acapulco and enjoy the Bay of Acapulco? Hell no. You will never see me step into Guerrero because one, they probably know who I am. And number two, I'll probably end up uh, in, in a pike, literally. So I will never go to let uh, an area known, um, um, Guerrero, where Acapulco is, is known as Tierra Caliente, hot land. And that area is truly narco land. That area is controlled by the Mexican cartels, hands down. So do you, it all do you think the cartels are aware of you? And two, do you think they give a shit? I think, yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they know about me, but I'm pretty sure that they don't give a shit about me, especially being here. It'll be different if they catch me down there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like if people have asked me that about our training company, and I'm like, look, you think that the, you think they give a rat's ass about street cop training when they're running a $6 billion enterprise? Um, you know, it's like, it's like when people bring things to me, I'm like, I, I don't, you know, I don't care. Like, they're like, Oh, you know, this guy, this guy somewhere said something about you. I'm like, okay. Right. We just had, we just did a video, a follow video, try to explain some things on TikTok, Right. So we, we did a video and then we tried to explain what we meant by it. And the first comment that comes across and the crazy thing is probably another cop. So this guy knows nothing about police work, you know, just some shit like that. The cool thing is people start to defend me on TikTok, but then it gets like, why even bother? You know? So again, for me, I'm like, they're like, yo, did you see this person said this? I'm like, I don't, I don't care. It has nothing to do with, with what I'm trying to accomplish uh, as the leader of a law enforcement organization, law enforcement training organization. So uh, that I'm curious about that. You know, people ask me, do you think that they know about you guys? I'm like, I, I, if they do, we're so insignificant, you know, you're talking about a, a, a training company that specializes in more things than just cartel. I mean, if we had 35, 40 guys teaching cartel, you know, yeah, I'm sure they would probably have a little more concern, but you know, that is not just our, our forte, what we're doing. So well, I'm often curious about that. And, you know, honestly, I don't care either. Man, they, they run with impunity in Mexico. They don't give right. a flying crap about anyone or anything, including the Mexican government. And when, when people start asking me, too, like, well, the Mexican government, what, what are they going to do? Why don't we send our own troops, American troops? That's probably the worst thing in the history that we can actually do, actually send American troops to Mexico. Number one, you have to understand if it, this war on on the impunity of the Mexican cartels, because not just a war on drugs, it's a border security issue. Um, these individuals, let's say, for example, the Mexican um, uh, army, the Mexican military, the Mexican Navy. Um, back in 2019, again, I did seven interviews of people that I still know within the services in Mexico. And again, I'm going to kind of stay away from, from actually saying names or, or uh, organizations that they work, but they work for the Mexican military. And they go from colonels down to lieutenants. 
Um, and I go over there and I'm like, okay, guys, what is going on? Why are we not done with this thing? And every one, every single one of them, Bervade and said, they're not letting us. Mm. Mexican government. The Mexican mm. government is not the ones not letting them. And oh. that, that arrest that happened with Cienfuegos, the one I was talking about, which we actually call him Cien Kilos because he was in bed with the cartels, the former Mexican defense secretary. Um, something happened uh, with his arrest. The Mexican government said, okay, the DEA has zero authority to actually arrest them. You either let them go or you're going to feel the wrath of our political power. Uh, and so the DEA kind of stand, stand back and said, okay, we're going to let him go, but we have the right to actually prosecute at a later time. And so they're like, okay, well, you want to play that game? So the Mexican government goes in front of the Mexican Congress and actually kicks out the majority of the DEA agents from Mexico and revokes a bunch of diplomatic statuses for these agents. Wow. And so eventually both governments sat down and said, okay, we got to fix that relationship between us. And that's when you start seeing this actually happened maybe two months ago. We start seeing the, the big warrants or the big wanted posters for Los Chapitos, El Mayo Zambada, El Mencho, which is the leader of CJNG. And that's where that comes in. Is it smoke and mirrors? I, I believe so. It's definitely smoke and mirrors. Because the cartels are still running with impunity. Hands down. Wild, man. Wild. Definitely one of the places I'm not going, that's for sure. I'm just, just, just well, out of just out of concern. There, of like, there's beautiful. No, I know, dude. But, you know, just for me, I'm just like, there's plenty of beautiful places to go every, anywhere in the world. I've been in Mexico when I was 20. By the way, I had the best five-day spring break of my life in Cancun. Oh, God. Uh, and it was it was different then from what I have understand to what it is now. It was wild, Vic. Oh, my own. Like, you would not believe well, the stories. Anyway, it was wild. Um, you know, so I'll probably just vacation elsewhere <laughs> you know, I, have my, Europe, right? I have my own story of cancun and it was uh, a bad story with tangeray wow <laughs> yeah i think there's a lot of bad stories that come out of cancun yes 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 um anyway well look you know i think we have just only cracked open the the conversation for this session of of this podcast about you know, do, doing more of this. So let's get more of these on the board to make sure that you're back in and giving more information that people need to know. How about this? Before we wrap this thing up, is there any one thing that law enforcement needs to know? And, you know, with sensitivity, because it is a public podcast regarding what you teach and offer that maybe it's something of value. They said, you know, I'm glad I listened to that podcast. I know that. Sure. Um, so, Obviously, here in the United States, we're, we're a nation of immigrants. Um, your parents were immigrants or your great-grandparents were immigrants. Um, I'm an immigrant myself. And um, give you an example. The, the United States government believes that there's about 12 million Mexican immigrants here in the United States. Um, I know for a fact that Mexican government believes that there's double that number. And for whatever your reason you're here, whatever your status is or the lack thereof status, you are protected by our constitution. You are given those rights and privileges that, that hold you as being here in our great country in the United States. So what I would like to leave my brothers and sisters and others that are listening to this 
is that we promote um, the understanding of Mexican culture with the difference of narcocultura. And a, and a great example would be religion. We, as American citizens, in fact, anyone that's here in the United States has the right to freedom of religion. If I want to pray to this plastic bottle of water, I can. I've, that's the beauty of being an American. So let's stop um, uh, uh, misunderstanding the religion of these Mexican citizens that are coming here and practicing their cultural awareness. So just because you see, just because you see a Roman Catholic patron saint, which by the way, there's over 10,000 of them, does not mean it's a criminal behavior at all. And in fact, it is not an indicator whatsoever. You have to be able to be educated, be trained, understand the differences between both Mexican culture and narco culture. That was uh, probably better than I had ever imagined you would finish this thing with. And it was excellent because contrary to what some people might portray me as, I am here to ensure that police officers are educated enough to understand things like that. So doing this job proactively, but remaining insightful to what the Constitution dictates, actions are allowed, and respecting great human beings who have come to this country for a better life. And, you know, I know that and there's no better Mexican food in like Arizona and Texas and stuff like we, I mean, Vic, we don't have anything good here. You know, I'm just telling you. Next time I go to Jersey, I'm actually going to cook you something. Okay. That sounds good. Add a little guacamole in there. Don't make it too spicy. I don't want my hole to be on fire. I'm sticking I'll, a popsicle on my butt. I'll make, a, I'll make two versions, spicy and non-spicy. We went to a place uh, when I was out visiting my fam, well, my, my in-laws and, um, I think about it all the time. And it was in one of these Mercados, right? One of these, and brother, I, we actually found it online. It had like 9,000 reviews, like five star. And I'm like, this has got to be the place. We couldn't find it. And they were super nice. The whole family was working the thing. And I'm, I'm you know, as the businessman that I am, I'm like, this thing's doing $1,000 an hour. Mm-hmm. This little, little, and they got a line out the door. And by the way, that line wasn't just Mexican people. Yeah. You know, that was uh white people, uh, Mexican people. Everybody was there to get this food. And brother, I got to tell you, it was on, I think about it all the time. It was unbelievable. It's a bet. And I try to get good Mexican food when I'm going in Texas and Arizona and where I know there's a good Mexican population, but this dig deep folks. If you want that good Mexican food, you got to dig deep. You got to find it. You got to be willing to go to those places. There's a beautiful thing about Mexican culture. Mexican food has been designated by the UN as a world heritage cultural thing. So it's a gift from the Mexican people to the entire globe. It's fucking amazing, dude. It's the best fucking food. I love it. It's amazing. Anyway, guys, Vic's got training courses coming up. Check out streetcop.com. Vic, is there anything you want to plug? Um, yes, I've, uh, Texas is coming up. Oklahoma is coming up. Oklahoma actually hit me up during our conference in uh, in Atlantic City, which I had a great time. Um, so I'm 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 very much looking forward of meeting all all, all our people in um, Oklahoma and Texas. So yes, cool, next on Oklahoma. Yeah, if you want to interact with Vic, he's on our Facebook group. Uh, he's a moderator in the group for sure. Check out our Facebook group on Street Cop Training uh, Facebook, and obviously. 
follow us on Instagram. Give us a rating and a review. If you like this podcast, tell your friends, tell your family. But, you know, it probably makes more sense with the law enforcement. So, uh, Vic, it's always a pleasure seeing you, man. I'm glad we were able to finally put this together. And I'm going to have Jess reach out to you right after we're done and make sure we get you on the calendar for another one because I, I think we probably talk about this for days. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Gracias y buenas noches. Hey, adios, amigo. <laughs> <laughs>